today we continue our series in Born to the Second Power. Last week we took a look at the birth of man. Today we take a look at the birth of sin. Next week the birth of Christ. And then the, the last week in this series, what it means to be born to the second power. To be born again or our rebirth. We ended last week looking at Adam and Eve in the garden. And as we understand, Jesus said, or God said, the Holy Spirit said, the three in one said in Genesis 1.31, after they, everything was made, after man was made, after the leaves were made, the trees were made, and the stems were made, and the, the fruits were made, and the seas, and the oceans, and man, God said, everything was very good. So we know there's a moment in history, the moment when God stepped in and everything was without sin, everything was well, there wasn't sin on earth, there wasn't sin in heaven. There was a moment in time after man was created that everything was very good. And if God said everything was very good, that meant that everything was very good in heaven too. That meant that everything was good. As we understand in the whole universe, everything was good. So there was a moment in history, biblical history, as we understand it, when everything was good, no sin whatsoever. It's kind of the picture that Adam and Eve, they, they, they were living in paradise and they were fully in love with one another. They had yet to entertain sin. They, they didn't have a distasteful thought for one another, nor did they have for the, the surrounding around them. It's kind of that picture of a, that you see at a wedding that often you get to be part of, or I often get to be part of. This week I'll be marrying a couple, Scott Landis and Alexis Ummel. And, and at that moment when the bride and the groom come together, when the bride comes walking down the aisle and the, and the groom is looking at the bride, and, and they're, they're thinking sweetness and, and, and all their, their mind is just full of this honeymoon thought. It's that moment I kind of picture, just picture Adam and Eve in that moment when, when Eve is walking in the picture and Adam sees her and we know from scripture and, and I watch the, the bride look at the groom or the groom look at the bride and I always look at the groom quickly. I just look at his face and it's just like, wow, there she is and she's coming. And I can see his heart going boom, boom, boom. Just beautiful picture and I kind of picture that, that that's the moment when God said, it's very good. And if we could just go back in history and say, let's pause, let's hit the pause button right there. Just bam, hit it. But we know from scripture that Satan enters into the picture. We understand that there's the fall, the sin of Adam and Eve. And, and as history as we know, it would never be the same because Satan enters in and he tempts Eve and Eve sins and Adam sins and so how does that unpack? Everything goes south at the birth of sin. Let's take a look at that and turn to, grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up or ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to the first book of the Bible. Last week we looked at the first book to see the birth of man. Now we're going to see the birth of sin. And turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you need a Bible, ushers will put one in your hand. And, but turn to the first book or open up your mobile device. I'll be reading from the NIV 2011 version. And when you find that, stand with me. We're going to read it out loud together. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Let's take a look at this and read it out loud together. Read it with me. Ready, read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but did God say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die? You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You may have a seat. The quest to destroy God's plan began a long time ago. Before you and I were created from the foundation of the world, God set in motion that the earth would be created. And we know from scripture that not only the earth would be created, but he also tells us in scripture, you'll see that Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. Like he knew there would come a time. But we also know that there was this moment in time that God was going to create. And he was the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit were together. And they talked about forming the footings, the foundation of the world. And, and, and he talks about it and he speaks it to Job and kind of in a, a question manner, like, were you there? Hold your finger here and turn to Job chapter 38. 
Let's take a look at what God asked Job, asking him, were you there when I laid out the foundations? Look at Job chapter 38. Kind of set the foundation for the earth being formed before it actually was. God laid out a plan. And in Job chapter 38, the Lord said this to Job when he was in the storm, verses 4 to 7. <coughs> look what it says in verse 4. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for what? There's this moment in time when God was together with the three in one. Laid out this plan. We're going to create this world, this earth. And, and it says that the angels were, were there and they shouted for joy. Just picture if you can, as best as you can understand. God thinks past, present, and future all at the same time. We think in time frame. We only are aware of what's taking place and what we're presently doing. We don't know the future as he does. But when God would look down the timeline of, of, of this infinite timeline, he, he did it everything before the foundation of it occurred. And he's looking ahead and he's saying there will be a day that this will take place. Part of God's original design was to build an, an earth and inhabit it with human beings. We saw that last week. His plan was for human beings to live in the garden free of sin and sickness and sadness and struggles. But this would take an 180 degree turn and go south immediately. So picture angels singing, Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, high-fiving each other. And he puts the plan into motion. And as we know it, we saw it last week, earth is created. It's all created. And we know from Genesis 1.31, that after, at least after the sixth day and the day of Sabbath, God said, it's good. It's very good. And at that moment, if we could freeze frame time and say, pause, hit the pause button. Heaven, no sin. Earth, no sin. Adam and Eve, no sin. Animals, nothing, nothing, no sin. No temptation, nowhere. Because God said it's very good. There was a moment in time after man was created, Genesis 1.31, that God said, it's very good. Good. Yet something happened after man was created. Something took place. Satan rebelled and was cast out of heaven. In fact, in Isaiah 14, 12, it says this way, Have you fallen from heaven, O morning star, the sun of dawn? You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nation. Then Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus even said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Then in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1, it says Satan has seen as the star that's fallen from the sky to the earth. There's this moment in time after the birth of man, after he said it was good, after the sixth day, after they rested, there's a moment in time when Satan was thrown to the earth because he sinned in heaven. So the first sin wasn't Adam and Eve, it was Satan. But we know that he was tossed to the earth. And he is on a mission to derail the plan of God. We also know this to be true at the very same time that Satan sinned in heaven. That John tells us in Revelation chapter 12 verses 3 to 9 that his tail, the enormous red dragon, swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray was hurled to the earth. So literally at this moment of time when Satan sinned, God not only tossed him out of heaven, he took one third of the angels that were created and he tossed them to the earth. Revelation 12, 4 says that a third of the stars were cast out. Now I read that and I think, well, praise God that only a third were. That means two thirds that are left are serving us and caring for us. Even God and how he set things up. It tells us in his word that greater is he that's in us and he that's in the world. Even the way from angelic beings, these angelic beings that were once without sin, chose to rebel with Satan. And now we know them as Demons. They're, they're demonic messengers of Satan. They've been tossed. And so now on earth, there are one third of these, these innumerable created beings that God had created that, that wreaking havoc. They serve Satan. 
They report to Satan. They distract. They oppose. They possess. They, they, they wreak havoc on earth. Yet there's two-thirds that we know as angelic messengers, ministering spirits, Scripture calls them, that serve us and guard us and protect us. So how do you know, Jim, that Satan was in heaven? Well, let, let's take a look. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. I want to show you. In, in, uh, 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 turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. Keep your finger here in Genesis chapter 3. And look at verses 13 to 19. Let's look at Satan's beginning. Let's look at his fall. Let's see what happens to him and why it's important to, to take a look at this. Look at Ezekiel chapter 28. You probably didn't have your devotions here this morning because it's where all the pages kind of stick together. But look at Ezekiel chapter 28. Look at verses 13 to 19. Says this in verse 13, you were in where? Where's the place? Eden. Eden. The garden of what? Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, ox, jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Most of us, I don't have a clue what they are, but they must have been something. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Let's pause. This is very important. On the day you were created, keep in mind, please, this is so very important when we think about theology and think about Satan. He was a created and is a created being. So listen, he is limited in his power. Why? Because he's a created being. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He, he can only do what God allows him to do. So he isn't doesn't have the full understanding that God, like he didn't, he wasn't there at the beginning of when the world was created. He didn't know how God was going to unpack his plan. And so he only knows what takes place. He only knows what has taken place. So up to this point, when he's thrown to earth, he doesn't know what's happening next. He, he hasn't had that information yet. All he knows, I'm thrown to earth. I, I believe that I I deserve more. And he's thrown to earth and he knows I'm going to destroy as many as I can. But he doesn't know the plan. He doesn't know that there's a redeemer coming in Jesus Christ. He doesn't know that his destination yet is going to be to hell. Why do I know that? Because the Old Testament and the New Testament has yet to be written. And the only information he has at this point is, I've been tossed out of heaven. And his only mission is to destroy, kill, and, and, and divide. So up to this point, he becomes aware as the Bible unpacks. He becomes aware as the Old Testament, the Israelites are looking for a Messiah. He becomes aware when Jesus is born. Jesus didn't tell him, hey, I'm going to let you know I'm going to be born in the manger. I'm going to come on this day. No, he never went to Satan to consult. Who would, who would consult with an enemy? So he's only aware. So keep that in mind when you think about this time. The Bible was yet to be written. Satan enters earth. And he thinks in his mind, I will destroy the plan of God. Yet God already knew. Like God knew from the foundation of the world before it was created that Jesus was coming. God knew from the foundation of the world that Satan would be tossed. God knew from the foundation of the world that a third of the angels would come with him. God knew from the foundation of the world that Revelation would be written and John would have a dream and Satan would end up in hell and be burning there forever and ever and ever and ever. Any amens? But Satan wasn't aware of that just yet. Why? He isn't omniscient. He only knows what he's seen, what he's experienced. Now he can speculate from patterns, but he's not fully aware of what's going to be unfolded. So at this point, keep that in mind. He's a created being. Look again in verse 16. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence. And you what? What's it say? Sin. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. And I expelled you, guardian what? What's he described as? Cherub. Come on, help me out. Read along with me. From among the fiery stones. Verse 17. Your heart became what? Proud. On account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the what? Earth. I made a spectacle of you before the kings. By your many what? What did it say? What's it say? Sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made fire come from out from you. And it consumed you. And I reduce you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who are watching. Listen, by the way, pause. Hit the pause button. You know who? who's going to be in the sight of watching that happen? We are. 
We are in the eternal state. We are in the redeemed state. We are when we're raptured into heaven. We are when God finally has the second coming and we come back on the horses with him and we destroy, as we know, the enemy. We will watch him being thrown in the pit of hell. Amen? Amen. We are there watching. Verse 19, all the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no what? Listen, Grace, please hold on to these truths. There will come a day that the enemy will be destroyed. And he will be tossed into the lake of fire and he will burn forever and ever and ever and ever. But come back to this point in time. God knew that before the foundation of the world. Man is created Earth is created. And after we know God said, it is very good. There is a moment in time, the birth, what we would say of sin. It happened in heaven first. And then sin or Satan was tossed to earth. But keep in mind, Adam and Eve were not given this information. They are created beings. They are not omniscient. They aren't all-knowing. They didn't have, they weren't privy to what took place in heaven. God didn't say, hey, I want to let you know, Satan's coming to earth. No. So for the first time, they weren't able to know that they needed to be on the guard that a tempter was coming. The anointed cherub filled with pride wants to be like God. And he's thrown to earth. And God begins what we would say his rescue. That's why we have Christmas. That's why the hero came. And now Satan is tossed because he's filled with pride. Meanwhile, Adam and Eve are having another good day in the garden. Luscious flowers. Animals that he named. In the company of a stunning, beautiful woman. No child molesters. No drugs, no abusing hus- abuse of husbands, no addictions, no sin, peace and tranquility in the garden. And yet Satan had just been tossed, as we know, to earth. Yet Adam and Eve weren't fully aware of what was taking place. They had nothing to fear. God's plan was in full motion. And as they would walk through the garden in the coolness of the day, God would speak with them. But now Satan wants to stop this love story. So he disguised himself as a snake, a crafty snake or serpent. Satan takes his revenge. Stop and consider for a second what his plan was. How deceived Satan was at the moment. He actually thought that if he could derail God's plan, then everything would change. And he began this whole mess with the lie that he would never leave from. John 8, 44 says that Satan's native language is lies. That he's the father of lies. So when he speaks, he lies. So look back. Look what happens. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Look at his plan. Genesis chapter 3. Let's look again. Satan is tossed. Sin in heaven. Adam and Eve aren't aware of this. They're just having another day in the Garden of Eden. And look what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the trees in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will what? Did he really say that, by the way? Is that what God said? I want you to take a look and I want to propose what I believe to be true. Look at Genesis chapter 2. What did God say? Look at Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse 15. This is prior to the Satan coming. This is prior to the serpent speaking. Look at Genesis chapter 2, and look at verse 15. The Lord God took the what? What's it say? Man, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the what? Man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly what? The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now pause. This is before Adam and Eve fell. I believe from scripture, if you look at scripture, that Adam 
had God speak to him. God is the one who spoke to Adam and said, hey, don't eat from this tree. This is what you should do. I believe from scripture, if you look at the the timing of sequence, look what happens next in verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground of the wild, all wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. So the man gave names to all the livestock. And then it says this, for Adam had no suitable helper or none could be found. So verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's rib and he closed up the place of the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. If you look at this account, here's what I find very interesting. She adds to what God said. The information was passed from Adam to Eve. And when the serpent came to her, she says, you should not touch it. I don't see that in the command. When God went first to Adam, he didn't say don't touch it. She adds, if you look at, the, look at it this afternoon, he uses the word certainly die. She says die. Why do I say all that? It's very important when you quote scripture. It's very important when you pray scripture. It's very important that you know scripture. Because if you're not speaking what the Bible says, then you are standing on unsteady ground. Why is that important? Because I believe with all of my heart that if we don't know the word of God, and if we're believing things that aren't true, then when the enemy comes and we quote him stuff that's not even scripture, we have no ground to stand on. So he comes to her in verse 7. Then it says this in Genesis chapter 3 or verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The enemy is very crafty. And I want to show you what he did with Eve. And what he'll do for you and against you and how he comes. Why? Because if we learn the schemes of the enemy, one of your primary objectives in life is to study the enemy. To study how he's come after you. Any military strategist or warrior will look at the enemy and say, wow, they attack on the flank. They attack at 6 a.m. They attack after a victory. They attack here. Why? Because you want to have strategy because he has schemes to come after you. Look at his plan of attack with Eve. First, she never saw it coming. Why did I know that? Because God didn't inform her that Satan had fallen. She didn't wake up that day thinking that it would be any different than any other day. Besides, they were living in paradise. It wasn't like she woke up and said, Adam, this is the day. This is the day the enemy's coming. In fact, if she would have went to the glossary of her dictionary, the Garden of Eden dictionary, they wouldn't even have found the word sin. She didn't know what sin was. They wouldn't even have found the word temptation. Like it was an all new, fresh perspective. They didn't wake up and say, this is the day. This is the day. No, they had no idea. It was another day in paradise. She, secondly, she wasn't looking for the serpent. He was looking for her. Think about this. It wasn't like, like all of a sudden when the serpent came, it's like the backup sound that comes on a truck. Beep, 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 beep. No. Wouldn't it be awesome though? If like if our iPhones, every time temptation came, it just went beep, 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 beep. But actually that does happen. He's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you're walking in the Spirit and you're sensitive to the Spirit, and Isaiah 30, 21 says that whether we turn to our right or left, our ears will hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. And if we're walking in the Spirit, he lets us know that that's temptation. Don't go down that path. And so if you find yourself continually falling in the area, what maybe two things are taking place. One, you're not filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And secondly, you haven't spent time in God's Word to know that that is deceit and he has twisted the truth. So he comes. She's not expecting to see a serpent. He was looking for her. Look what help happens next, just like he does for us. She didn't recoil in fear when she saw him. Why? Because he was appealing. He was beautiful. He was captivating. 
everything else in the garden was. So I personally believe that when the serpent came to her, he didn't crawl on his belly because after he was cursed, he crawled on his belly. I believe that somehow, maybe, somehow he walked on his tail. Maybe he had legs. I don't know. But somehow he came and she wasn't shot. And here's what I don't understand. I've asked this question hundreds of times and I finally come to a conclusion. Why didn't she say when this serpent came and it started talking to her, why didn't she, why didn't she recoil on fear and say, wait a minute. Animals can't talk. Like, why wouldn't she walk along having a day in paradise and they were skipping along, loving each other. They were on their honeymoon. You know, they were eating fruit from every tree and they were loving life. No sin, no sickness, no, no disease. And, and all of a sudden this serpent comes along and it starts talking. When you go, whoa, I haven't seen animals talk. I propose this. Why? Maybe animals talked before the fall. We don't know. Maybe before the fall of man that animals did talk. And so it wasn't a surprise to her. I believe that the possibility exists. It's my assumption that animals did talk. And so she wasn't surprised at a talking snake because it's possible that other animals talk. And so, Jim, where do you, why do you believe that? Because the fall of man, the sin of man affected everything in creation. Didn't a donkey talk in the Old Testament? I mean, it's possible, isn't it? Maybe God's original intent was for animals to talk. So she wasn't surprised by this serpent. And she didn't recoil in fear. Here's what else I know to be true. Temptation often comes when we least expect it. If temptation gave us a warning call, then we would be better prepared. But don't you know that to be true? Like after a really good time with God, a quiet time, a great time with your family or in the workplace, you're on mountain, you're on the top of the mountain, you just had a great worship experience, you just left the radiance worship night and you're up here with God, you know, you've, you've met the Lord and you go home. Guess what can often happen? Boom! Temptation can come. I've often found in my own life that when some of the highest moments with Christ alone or in a corporate setting, the next day is just arsenal attack of temptation. So why not? It often comes when we least expect it. And here's what I know to be true even with Eve. Every temptation is a lie wrapped in a promise of freedom. It always is. It goes something like this. If you do this, then you'll be so much better off. If you leave him, you'll be happier. If you leave her and go get that wife, it'll be so much better. If you say this about that person, you'll feel so much better inside. Every temptation is wrapped in a promise of freedom. It's a lie. If you do this, you will be loved. If, 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 you, if you leave this or go there, or if you, you steal this or you're fudging your integrity, if you do these things, if you don't follow your husband, if you, if you don't follow God, if you do all these things, you will be so free. You will be the woman, the man you've been created to be. It's a promise wrapped in a lie. If you do this, you will be happy. Listen, where do you see in Scripture that the Christian walk is supposed to be a journey of happiness? Paul wrote in Corinthians, he says, I was overwhelmed to the point of death. Indeed, death itself. I was miserable. Listen, there will be times when it won't be fair. There will be times when it will be difficult. There will be times in your marriage, in your life, in your singleness, in your future, and in your business where it will be painful. Don't ever believe the lies from the enemy that God intended us to have happiness. So you have this picture a promise of freedom. And know what he does next? He challenges her to a game of Bible trivia. That's what she does. he does. Like, did God really say? Show me. Show me chapter verse. Genesis. Where, where, where did he say that? He, he challenges her to a game of Bible trivia. And so he says, did God really say? Well, God said this. And so she's running and she's trying to remember what did Adam say? And, and listen to me. If you don't know what God said, then get back in the book and find out. See, let me give you some truth today. How many of you will probably eat today? How many of you will? Why? Because you're hungry. 
And if you go, you know, two, three, four, five, six days, you'll be miserable. Or your husband will be miserable. Or your wife will be miserable. Or your mom or dad will be miserable. We eat because we need nutrition. We eat because we're hungry. We eat because our bodies say we need fed. How many of you will go this day and tomorrow and Monday and Tuesday? How many of you just unzipped your Bible holder this morning for the first time this week to read God's word? Listen, this is the bread of life. And if you're not spending time in his word, listen to me, dads. If you're not leading your homes by them knowing that you're in God's word, Listen, you will starve. And if you don't know God's word, guess what the enemy will do? He'll play Bible trivia with you too. That's why we get all these phrases out there. God would never give us more than we can handle. Where's that in scripture? Listen, if you want to grow and you want to be the person God intended you to be, you will starve without God's word spiritually. So let me ask you a question. How are you doing in that area? Do you have a regular reading time? Oh, it's hard to read God's word. It takes time. I, I get up early. I go to work at 4 a.m., Jim. Come on. I bet you ate. Did you eat God's word? That's why we give Bibles away on Sunday. That's why when you come into here, you know, and, and I've heard all the stories. I've been here 20 years. And, here, and here's how it goes. Here, here's what normally goes. From people who have never walked in here. Well, oh, a church of that size, they must water down God's word. And then they walk in, oh, they used their Bibles there. Why? Because it's the word of God. It's living, it's active, it's able and divide and conquer and the bone and marrow of your life. And if you're not eating it, then you're starving. And some of you are getting duped. You're believing stuff that someone told you. Yeah, that's what I heard and over there, we got together and that's what I heard. What does God's word say? Don't be duped. So he challenges her to a game of Bible trivia. So look what happens next. What kind of vice do you think you will get from Satan? Then let me say, she begins to negotiate with the enemy. Are you kidding me? Seriously, never negotiate with your enemy. Like, like seriously, when his name is Satan. Like somehow you're going to go say, well, Satan, what do you think I should do? Well, I think you should love God with all of your heart. He's never going to tell you that. He's going to twist it. He's going to send you doubt. He's going to try to deprive you of God's goodness. He's going to twist it. He's going to say, don't follow God in a way that sounds like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't follow God. I should follow my heart because my heart is from the center of all being. And out of the heart comes so much truth. No, the Bible says that we, our hearts are desperately wicked and we can deceive ourselves. But the word of God won't deceive you. Never negotiate with an enemy. Next, he tries to confuse her and cause her to doubt. What's he say? Did God really say that? Here's how he doubts and tries to confuse us. He says these kind of phrases. How many of you ever heard this phrase and you you felt this temptation? It won't be as bad as, as you might think. Like, it'll be okay if you fudge a little bit. Like, they did it. Look. Look at their family. They're still doing okay. They, they cheated on their taxes. They didn't, they didn't record volunteer or labor. They didn't put labor in every business, small business. If don't record the labor, you got to make it as a business. Look at them. They're blessed. They got two cars in a house. You don't know what's happening in their heart. Or it comes like this. Doesn't God want you to be happy? He wouldn't want you to be miserable. So he tries to put doubt in her heart. Then he does this. He likes to question God's goodness. You see, he asks her, why would God withhold any good from you? You could do this. And you could know what God knows. He wants you to know what he knows. Come on. You're his created being. You're the only two people on planet Earth. Why wouldn't God want you to know what he knows? You see, when we doubt God's goodness, sin won't seem that sinful. Like, and the classic attack of Satan comes next. In fact, how are we attacked? How are we tempted? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, 
and the pride of life. Let me, let me explain if I can. Think about this for a second. As you look back on this fall or the birth, fall of man or the birth of sin. In fact, if you look at our logo, you notice it has two bites because if it had one bite, it'd be an Apple computer. But it's got two bites. Because Adam ate and Eve ate. Thanks to Andy Jewett, he's, he's always on. He's an incredible design artist for us, graphic design artist. But think about how, how Satan came after Eve. He brought, he brought it all. He brought the whole nine yards. How? He, the temptation came on the practical level. The fruit was good to eat. Lust of the flesh. Wow, look at that fruit. I need some of that. It looks really good. And then this, this same temptation, he not only attacked with lust of the flesh, the emotional level. It looked beautiful even to her eyes, lust of the eyes. Not only did the flesh want it because it looked like the best apple I've ever seen. And not only that, it's a beautiful looking apple. Like, I want a bite of that, baby. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. And he comes, I mean, he brought all nine yards the spiritual level, it would make her wise, the pride of life. Satan wants you to feel deprived by God. So picture if you can, you, you, you know what it's like and I know what it's like. That moment when lust of the eyes, oh, oh, it looks so good. Lust of the flesh, I bet it's the best apple I've ever had in the whole world. Pride of life. If I do that, then I will have. Picture if you can. After she took that first bite. It was good. Isn't it? Isn't pleasure, isn't sin for a second just pleasurable and tastes good? Like, oh, when you're all numbed, all the you busted through all the warning signs, and like that 30 seconds of pleasure. Like, it's really good. I believe with all of my heart, in that moment, there was this time, this period of time where everything kind of halted, where where she took a bite and it really was good. It was desirable and it it was pleasurable. And she really began to think that I can think like, I believe that there was a moment. I don't know how long, maybe it was a nanosecond, maybe it was a millisecond, maybe it was one second, maybe it was three seconds, that she didn't have any guilt, any shame or regret. Why? Because there's a moment there that not only did she take a bite, she turned to her husband who was with her. And he, she said, it's really good. And he went. Isn't that what happens with sin? Oh, that 30 seconds, that, that one hour, that one day, it was so good. It was all oh, better than I expected. But what happens on the ride home? What happens when the spirit of God comes back after? What happens after you wake up the next morning and you realize what you did? What comes on you? Shame, guilt, regret. And I believe in that moment, she took a bite. <sighs> Take a bite. He took a bite. <sighs> and then, Bam. Shame and sin and regret entered the garden for the first time. They had never experienced that before. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are one bite away? How many of you are thinking, oh, if I had her, oh, if I had that job, oh, if I fudged a little bit there, Oh, if I, I took a hit on that drug. Oh, if I cheated there. Oh, it would be so much. How many of you are one bite away from regret and shame and guilt? Please, please. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. All of creation, everything changed in a moment because Eve's thought the lies that Satan were feeding her were better than the promises that God had projected on their lives. And because they took a bite, everything changed. 
see the second you and I spend thinking about how nice it would be, how good it would feel, and how much you deserve it, we will fall. So the nightmare began. <coughs> Something strange happened in the garden for the very first time. Panic. The animals noticed it. Instead of the animals being skittish, Adam and Eve were skittish. They ran. And what they do? They hid. Like, they couldn't go to their dictionary and look up shame and guilt. They didn't even know what they were dealing with. All they knew, we've got to get away from God. Got to hide from God. They couldn't look him in his eyes because now the sin nature as we know it was now busted on the scene. And it wasn't there before. And now they had this sin that they had dealt with. Now they need to repent. Now the garden was no longer paradise because they took a bite from the fruit. And God's heart was broken. And they were poisoned with deceit. Why did they take the bait? Just like a parent's heart that's broken when their child walks away. Jesus knew at that point, God knew, this is the point. This is why before the foundation of the world that Christ was slain. That's how it unpacked. He knew it. He could see it. And that's why we have Christmas. That's why Jesus had to come and be born because we need it rescued. One day... God's going to make it perfect again. No matter what, he'll make it perfect again. God's creation, however, began to unravel in this moment. From now on, everything that was supposed to live forever would die. Do you realize this too? Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us from now on that all the sin would, would come through the Father. That every little child that would be born would, would, would have a sin nature on them. Every child that would be born would have a sin nature and it would be passed down from the Father. You know why it was important that Jesus was born to a virgin? Two reasons. One, he needed to be fully human and he needed to be fully God. That's why Jesus had the Holy Spirit step in and help Mary conceived, because if there would have been a father, an earthly father, then sin nature would have been born into Jesus. And Jesus can't be a perfect redeemer with the sin nature. And so when he was born, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so sin nature didn't come in him, but we know he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. So the primary reasons why Christ came through a virgin, he needed to be fully human, and he needed to be fully God, and he needed to be a perfect sacrifice. So you and I, these precious children that God allows us to procreate and see birth in our homes, these kids who have never barely even breathed a breath, are born with the sin nature that's bent on selfishness and pride. Like, how can, how can something so naive be, be have a sin nature? Because Adam took the bite. Adam and Eve procreated. And every father since then procreates and passes down a sin nature. So what happens to Adam and Eve? How do they respond? Look at Genesis chapter 3. They, they sin. Look at verse 9. Look at their first response in chapter 3, Genesis. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And by the way, he's still asking that question. Men, where are you? Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. Where did that come from? Sin. Verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave some fruit to me and I ate it. Pass the buck, blame someone else. Then the Lord God said to the woman in verse 13, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Pass the buck, blame someone else. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, curse you are, are you above all livestock and wild animals, and you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. God steps in, though, listen to me, because of his grace. It should have been all over right there. But our God is a God of grace. 
And from time to time, you know what we do? We take bites. And we need rescued. And we need grace. And God steps in into the garden and changes humanity forever with an act of grace. The first act of grace was this. Look at chapter 3 and verse 21. Read on with me. Follow along with me as I read this. Chapter 3 and verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not, not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of what? Why? Because what it says, and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he, he had been taken. But look at verse 24. After he drove the man out, he, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Why? Why did he banish him from a garden? Why? Why did he put a, a, a cherub, an angel to guard the way? Why did he send them out? Because here's why. Had Adam and Eve, after they had taken a bite, after they had sinned, walked over and taken fruit from the tree of life, had they taken a bite and eaten, they would have been locked in sin forever and ever and ever. Never to be redeemed. In eternal state. So what God do? He said, you get out of the garden. Don't let them back in because I don't want them to eat from the tree of life. Because if they do, it is a game changer. God makes a promise that he will never stop pursuing them. So picture if you can, I believe this. I believe Satan stood there as they were leaving going. <laughs> See ya. Standing at the garden thinking he had won. Because why? He hadn't read the New Testament. It wasn't even written yet. He thought he had won. So he's standing there thinking, yeah, I got rid of mankind. See you later. Because he didn't know that in Revelation chapter 22, the tree of life would reappear again. Look at Revelation chapter 22. Let me show you. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. Satan thought he had won. He thought it was over. Revelation chapter 22. He thought that there was no redemption for man. He thought they would stay in this state. Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. On each, look at verse 2. Down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood what kind of tree? Life. Look what it says. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Here's what that means, Grace Community. There will come a time. This is, Genesis, this is Revelation chapter 22. This is after Satan has been thrown into the lake of fire. This is after we stand there and watch it. This is us in our eternal state. This is after we've been at the beam of sea. This is when there's no sin, no sickness, no darkness. This is when we're in the eternal state of heaven of, and the new heaven. This is when we're with God. This is when we're in heaven. We will walk down the streets of gold and on each side of the streets of gold, we tree of life, tree of life, tree of life, tree of life. Tree. The tree of life doesn't appear again until heaven. Why? Here's why. You and I get to walk right over and grab a piece of that fruit and we get to bite into it. <laughs> Why? Because it locks us into the eternal state of perfection forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Any amens? God's plan, Satan thought, was thwarted, but it wasn't because of an act of grace. Satan thought he had God right where he wanted him. Sinners leave the garden with no hope of ever getting home because sin cannot enter heaven. He stood there smiling and waving goodbye to Adam and Eve, but he didn't know that there would be a redeemer that would come. His name would be Jesus Christ, who would take our sins to the cross and who would die for us and who would forgive us and offer us salvation. He didn't know how that would unpack. He only got bits and pieces as he watched the Israelites talk about this coming Messiah. He finally got the picture and he 
saw, he tried to stop the birth. Oh no, Jesus is coming and he can't be stopped. And so he tried to kill all the babies, but he couldn't because God's plan wouldn't be thwarted. And so God grew up, God, man grew up. Jesus grew and became 30 years old, went to the cross. And when he was on the cross and he died, Satan thought he won again. But we know what to be true. If there wasn't no resurrection, there would be no hope. But Jesus walked out of the grave. And we have hope in Christ. So the quest is beginning here. And Jesus is on a mission to rescue us. So let me pause and pull away. Please, don't take a bite. It's not worth it. Don't let the enemy dupe you any longer. It's not worth it. Don't let death and destruction fall on your home and your family and your future. It's not worth it. But know this. If you do fall, there is a God of grace who will pick you back up. And he wants to give you second, third, fourth, fifth, and millions chances. It's called grace. There is now for no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So I sit here today and I think about Christmas, the birth of Christ. Think about it from the Israelites' perspective. Think about it from the Jews' perspective. Think about it from the disciples' perspective. Think about it from God's perspective. He says, I will send a redeemer and his name will be Jesus Christ. And guess what? He came and he came at Christmas and everything changed. But listen, he's coming again. (laughs) He's coming back again. And he's going to come back. And this time we go to him. He's going to rapture us to him in the church. And there's going to come a day called the second coming where we come back and we're going to be on horses. And you've heard me talk about this. And we're going to be behind our savior. And we are going to wipe out along with him, all the enemies, all the cohorts, all the demons. And we will rule and Christ will rule. And Satan will be tossed and all his demons into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. There's a song that really captures this called Even So Come. And there's a line in this song that says, like a bride waiting for a groom will be a church ready for you. We'll wait for you, Jesus. Even as they waited for Emmanuel to come at Christmas and he came, we're waiting, listen to me, and he's coming again. And we will see our Savior face to face. Would you stand with me and close as we close in prayer? God, this is an incredible plan. You could have thrown in the towel and said, that's it. Just let him go and there's no plan of redemption. But God, you sent Jesus and he's our hero. And he's been on a mission to rescue lost people from the Garden of Eden. And he rescued us. And then God, you sent your son at Christmas to fulfill that promise that that you're coming again. And you came and you were born and you were sacrificed. And now, Lord, we wait. We wait for you as a church and a bride waiting for a groom. We wait, Lord, because the promise is this, and you're good on your promises, that you're coming again. And there will be a day, God, we know from Scripture, that we'll be a radiant bride, no sin, no sickness, that we will worship with you eternally, and Satan and his cohorts and his demons will be defeated. Oh, please, God. Even so, come now, Jesus. Amen.